oh, hey, it's that squirrel staring at you through the window because you're late with the peanuts today. Allie Ward, back with an extremely digital episode. We have a full-length version if you have more time. That's linked in the show notes. But this is an episode of Smologies, which means it's shorter, it's safe for classrooms, it's safe for work, no swear words, and a little bit more compact of a digest of an episode. So if you want the full length, it's in the show notes. If you're here for Smologies, stick around. You're in the right place. Okay, Allie, you say, downward. We love snail funerals and coyote ghosts. But let's bump this into the age of the World Wide Web, shall we? So we are. Today, I get my head out of the annals of dusty natural history books, into the ones, into the zeros, and into the head of a genius programmer and designer and entrepreneur. Buckle up to hear your old dad out of her comfort zone and into the matrix. So architectural technology, I know you are definitely thinking that this is an episode about how arches are built or glass buildings with solar panel windows. I know, but watch out. That is not it at all, at all. So archi means having or conceived of is having a single unified overall design. And texture comes from the Greek for chief weaver or builder. And then technology is also from the Greek, meaning art or craft, coming from weave. So the tech and architect and technology are the same tech. So architectnology, you'll hear more on that. Now, okay. I don't know beans about programming. And when things start to get over the average, or in my case, below average person's head, I'm going to stop and just clue us all in for a second just to get up to speed so no one's left behind. Now, this ologist is just about to become your new hero. For the week leading up to this interview, I just had knots in my stomach about how cool he was and how little I understood about programming and just what to ask him. But he is as patient and as gracious as a genius could possibly be. And we chatted all about the value of hands-on tinkering and different programming languages and what they do and how to start coding at any age, advice he gives kiddos and grown-ups, and being part of technological movements, how he's worked with everyone from Kanye to Rihanna and more, what the future will look like, and why being flexible and collecting varied life experiences is the key to excellence. So cozy up and get ready for your mind to be blown and your heart to be warmed by architectural technologist Idris Sandu. Let's get right into it. And how would you define an architectural technologist for someone who doesn't know? Yeah, so architectural technologist or more like, you know, important like digital architect Mm -hmm. is really this like term that I coined around applying the concepts, the ideations and the design thinking that goes into, you know, architecture and mm-hmm. applying those to digital systems, right? So it's about understanding like Dieter Rams' 10 principles of design. Side note, the 10 principles of design by Dieter Rams, which I will list very quickly for context for this episode. Good design is innovative. Good design makes a product useful. Good design is aesthetic. Good design makes a product understandable. Good design is unobtrusive. Good design is honest. Good design is long-lasting. Good design is thorough down to the last detail. Good design is environmentally friendly and good design is as little design as possible. So less is more. 
something to consider before adding a bunch of glittering clip art and comic sans headers to your web pages. Clutter be gone. And when did you become so curious? Oh, I think I've always been a curious kid. You know, I remember being six, seven, eight. You know, growing up, we were, you know, financially deprived. And my mom would always have to buy new controllers because I would always break them. And, you know, just look at, oh, okay, cool. These are what transistors are. And I would look at a PCB board. P.S. PCB is a printed circuit board. And no, I have never taken one apart myself. And yes, I just had to look up what a PCB was. I'm not ashamed. I would look at it and reroute everything and connect this to the USB <laughs> and then take the USB to this. And then I remember this one time I created a, I took a remote and then I basically rerouted and reprogrammed in Java, the ability oh. for me to point that at our f- ceiling fan and I could change the speed of the fan, right? And so, like, I, I had always been curious. You know, when did you go from, you know, hardware and taking apart controllers and changing their frequency and um, into coding and into kind of software? Like, when did you make make that jump? I started learning how to code, in fact, at the age of 11 and went to a library for almost two years straight, only missed three days. Oh, my God. Um, and learned everything. And I saw the differences when I was in Compton. I was reading legacy programming languages. Okay. I wasn't sure if legacy was the actual name of a programming language. So I had to look it up. And wow. Okay. No. So a legacy language, as opposed to a modern one, is older and usually not the base for today's coding, but it's really important to know because new technology sometimes has to interact with a legacy language that may be the base for other programs. Also, please pardon this aside up top, but I just want to get some programming basics just out of the way for context so no one feels lost. And also, full disclosure, because I needed to look it up to understand it also. I'm going to go quick. So first off, machine language is chattering via binary code. So ones and zeros, and those are expressed via tens of thousands of transistors that flip on and off to relay those ones and zeros. Now, a programming language is a way for us to tell those ones and zeros how to behave and what to accomplish for us. So just remember, the task of a thousand steps begins with a single beep boop. Life is just a series of tiny beep boops that can change the world. Now, some of the first programming, trivia alert, was around the year 800 in modern day Baghdad and involved an automata, which was a programmable steam flute. Priorities. Gotta get those flute jams in. Now, in the 1700s, we had punch cards that helped operate jacquard textile looms. Some of the first computers in NASA's history were women crunching numbers behind the scenes to figure out flight paths and fuel needs, and programming the first electronic general-purpose digital computer for the U.S. Army in the 1940s. Fast-forwarding to the last couple of decades, let's have a very brief simplification of what a programming language is. It essentially means how plain text, or what's called source code, is formatted and written to tell the machine how to flip those transistors making all those ones and zeros to get stuff done. So anyway, thank you for bearing with that history and context. Idris was at the library at the age of 11, feeding his hungry brain with legacy programming languages, as one does. I just started going to the library and read and read and read. To the universe and God's grace, I would end up meeting a Google engineer that happened to be there that day and um, saw me reading my books. And that was really the start for me um, in Mm -hmm. this space. 
And now you were in the library, you're studying code. You were, what, maybe 13 at the time? And you started interning for Google? Yes. Various points in my life, I was being allowed to be in spaces that I normally wouldn't have been in, right? So me being a 13-year-old kid with somebody that, you know, believed in me so much and saw what I was doing to let me have an opportunity to see how things actually worked. Mm -hmm. And being able to go into the Google building and go in and see how ideas then went to the drawing board and the drawing board then went to the interface designers. And then from there, it going to like the programmers and the programmers working with the marketing team and the marketing team distributing the app that was built. I just got to see so much and I was like, oh, wow. It was like being in Willy Wonka's factory. And I was like, wow, this is how it works. I want to create this. How did you like the chocolate factory, Charlie? I think it's the most wonderful place in the whole world. And that would basically shape my whole life around ownership. And one thing that I practice a lot is vertical integration, right? Mm-hmm. Now, vertical integration is a form of business in which a business owner or entity controls the whole product life cycle of their creation, mm-hmm. right? That's what Apple does, right? So Apple, as a company, has a multitude of different devices, right? Now, for every one of those devices that they have, there's an integrated operating system that they created for each of those products, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have an Apple Watch, it runs what? Watch OS. Mm -hmm. If you have an iPhone, it runs iOS, which they own. These Uh two, which they own. If you have a Mac computer, you're running Mac OS, which they also own. And if you have a TV, it runs what? Apple TV, ATV, AOS. (laughs) Okay, cool. That's why everything always came down to me. So when you uh, ask your, I had to give that preface before answering your question in regards to how does that light bulb moment go to an actual product for, you know, for, for like me, I divide things I do into two states, right? There's, I came up with this term called aspirational necessitation. Now, aspirational necessitation you, you just simply means if you look around you, you would notice that the products that are aspirational, the stuff you do not need, are the most highly priced and are the, in fact, the most beautiful design things that you, you can lay your eyes on. Wow. Whereas the products that are a necessity in your to you, roadblocks, street signs, pedestrian buttons, you know, uh, parking meters, mm-hmm. all of these things are designed very, very poorly and with very little design thinking. In fact, the moment that these systems are installed, they're already depreciating in value, right? Whereas on your phone, if you really think about it, it appreciates in value. Why? Because there's software updates. So why haven't we designed city infrastructure and things that are a necessity around us with the same thing? Could you imagine all these tech companies making new cars all the time? Mm-hmm. Making a car be smaller, faster, more efficient, but no one is thinking about the road on which the car is drive to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that hasn't yeah. <laughs> been changed. How about we just make efficient more roads, right? So aspirational necessitation: making the things that we all use as nice as the things only five percent of people can afford. Can you imagine that world of just beautiful efficiency? Something that is really striking about you is you are so obviously like focused and passionate about what you do. And you're also so good at having an opportunity and taking full advantage of it, you know, of, of, of showing up when the opportunity kind of knocks. And, um, are you ever called to give advice to people who, you know, are, are, have less confidence or Mm. aren't sure that they could accomplish anything near what you have? Asking for myself because I will shamelessly take 
any and all advice this dude has to offer, but also for, you know, the youth. Yeah. I mean, I think even now, like I was just reading a Wall Street Journal article earlier about how like the coronavirus is going to literally shift the paradigm for an unfinished generation's social skills. Gen C, like these kids that are now eight, nine, 10, or even like five or six, they're going to grow up in a completely different world now because of coronavirus, you know, and so what it means to be social is going to be di- different. What it means to interact, FaceTiming or video calling or even volumetric. Like, you know, uh, certain things have to happen for us to go into new ages of time. Mm-hmm. Right. Scientists had to try and get us to the moon and, you know, create a new technology and mistakenly create microwave. And now we all have micro <laughs> microwaves in our house. That scene in Star Wars, A New Hope, where you have Princess Leia, you know, R2-D2 projecting her hologram mm-hmm. and her telling Obi-Wan Kenobi, help Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope mm-hmm. for us to get to that level, for us to get to the shift certain things needed to take place in the world. And so ultimately, like I'm a huge spiritualist and stuff. So what I tell like people around me, whether it's now in terms of advice or whatever, or in the past is like, there's always a blessing behind every single thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about what's going on in the world, what's happening right now is going to force that to happen now. Mm-hmm. Cause we're going to have to rethink media. When you, you know, ask me like, what advice do I give to people? It's, the, the advice is simply just be dynamic. Even when I have like kids come up to me, like what programming languages, I feel that if I tell children, if I tell young kids what programming languages they should, they should enforce, especially when those kids coming up to me are like minorities, I feel like I'm not giving them the right information. The right information for me to say to those kids would be learn how to be dynamic because one programming language is not going to be it. You know, New programming language will be created, but you know what won't be new? Your ability to dynamically think. Mm. Train that muscle in your brain to be able to be adaptable. Information of the current is by default already information of the past. As we're communicating right now, the things we're saying, things we're talking about right now, even if I was to mention a new technology that has a six-week shelf life, a year from now, we got all new iPhones and then we're talking about something else, you know? Yeah, so it's yeah. like my advice to <laughs> any kid or anyone really, uh, I feel like we're all kids. Idris says that we must all accept that we are children and keep learning and asking questions, which, you know, I love. Now, speaking of asking questions, we're about to ask questions submitted by folks on patreon.com slash ologies. But before we do each episode, we donate to a charity or a cause of the ologist choosing. And that donation was made possible by sponsors of the podcast who you may hear about now. Okay, on to your questions. Can I ask you a few questions from listeners who knew that you were coming on? Yes, of course, please. Yes. Cool? Oh, okay, I'll run question. through them like lightning round. Um, Michelle Jacobs wants to know if you have a favorite programming language and why. Yeah, I mean, personally, I mean, I, I started off with Java. Mm-hmm. And Java is one of the most, you know, it's not only just one of the oldest programming languages that we still currently use today, but more importantly, it's a programming language that is like the grandfather of all other programming languages, right? Mm-hmm. There's different forms of programming languages. There's different languages and then there's different like broken versions of those languages, right? So you think of like English and then there's like the British English, then there's the American English, then there's like Patois, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And then there's like broke pigeon English, right? <laughs> and in programming, there's a, a very wide array for different applications of what you're doing. There are like array languages. They're like assembly. There, there's just so many. There's compiled languages. Okay, I looked it up. And Wikipedia lists over 50 types of programming languages. How exciting. Why are there so many? It depends on what you're, what you're doing. But personally, my, one of my favorite programming languages is not Java, actually. That's just a language I started with. I really love C. I love C Sharp. Okay. Um, and the reason why I love C Sharp is obviously it has way more memory advantages and speed improvements over Java. But the thing I love about C most importantly is because it's really widely accepted. I can compile that on my Mac computer running like bootcamp or running parallel desktop um, side by side with the computer. And platforms that I, in the past that I've used a lot of, like Unity, which is a game engine for a lot of visualizations we've created in the past, we've built them in Unity using C Sharp. So I love, love, love C Sharp. C Sharp is one of my favorite languages, but there's a new programming language that Google created called Flutter that mm -hmm. I love so much because <laughs> I've, I've been using a lot of Facebook React Native. Okay. So there's Facebook has two major programming languages. One is called React and one is called React Native. And by the way, before people grill me, because I know this is going to happen, let me just reiterate and say, I know that Facebook React is not a programming language and it's a library, okay. but it's pretty much a programming language. We can agree to disagree. It's pretty much a language. It's, it's a JavaScript library, but it is a programming language as it's currently used. Okay, from what I gather, Bootcamp, side note, is a software that helps install Windows OS on Macintosh computers, which, like other types of Bootcamp, Sounds like a sweaty endeavor. And a library is a bunch of reusable programming routines that a coder can grab so they don't have to physically type all of that source code out. Like they know what it does and what to use. So, you know, you can copy and paste the basics to avoid needing like bionic wrists to peck out all those ding-dang backslashes and such. So these shortcuts are valuable given that experienced programmers can make upward of a hundred bucks an hour in case you're interested in learning to code. Um, there's never been a more exciting time to get into programming like there is now. You know, I'm 22, but I remember being 11 years old, having to go to a library and read books there. And now there's so many free courses online. There's platforms like Udemy, there's Khan Academy, there's Treehouse that teach you Java from start to finish, that teach you Swift, which is Apple's official programming language that I think a lot of people should start learning. The reality of being a programmer is you're always learning, just like the English language. You're learning new words all day and I'm learning a lot. I even sometimes Google things or go on YouTube. Heads up, this question and answer killed me dead. And <laughs> last last uh, listener question, Mads Clement wants to know, what's the silliest thing that you've ever coded? Like a ridiculous website, just something that you just really wanted to make. I remember this one time I was developing an app for a client and then I put an Easter egg in the, uh, in the right corner. So you would have to like, I think you would long press it, tap it twice again, and then long press it again. Mm -hmm. And um, it, would, it was just like this this Kanye uh, meme that would pop up and he'll be like, hey. <laughs> 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 it, was, it was just so funny to me. But yeah, I mean, I think what I love about programming is like, no matter what language you're using, the ability to like comment in line. That's what I feel like I'm here to do. I'm here to show people that like, I'm a jack of so many different trades. I am a jack of many trades and confined by none. You know, I don't desire to be a master of any, but I neither decide to be confined by none. So like, you, you know, I, I feel like I've been put on this earth to show people like, yes, I'm an architect that can design like 
an experience for Kanye and do stage designs and build Snoop Dogg store, but I can collaborate with Fenty and Prada and IBM on other projects and make it okay. Make that the new norm. I know I'm not the, there's people that might be listening to this and be like, he's not a conventional programmer or, you know, whatever they, they might like say about this. But one thing that they can't say is, wow, he's so multi-crafted and multi-faceted. He is, you know, part of the new renaissance of being, you know, multifaceted. Mm-hmm. And I should be too, right? Let We can talk about music, but go to tech. And then from tech, go to art. That should be a norm, right? Artists, music artists, fashion designers should be working with programmers. In fact, for the last 20 years, what I've personally like seen, you know, like at being 22, mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of just history, is that the people that are making the most impact are the people that started off doing something and did something completely different. Mm-hmm. Tinker Hatfield designed pretty much every popular Jordan shoe that ever came out. He has an architecture background. Virgil Abloh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Virgil Abloh has an architecture background. You know, um, just a be of renaissance. Like, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, that's such good advice. I mean, I'm I'm very my my science teacher in high school. She would always she always used to tell me that uh the brain was not meant to multitask, according to what she said. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like we're only good at efficiently doing things one time. And um, the truth to that is realizing that sometimes we just be trying to do so much, and then we forget to 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 focus on one thing and complete and go on to the next. Not because we we're confining ourselves, and not because we're not capable of processing all that information, but because when we get to focus and then create something, our brain is operating within its highest peak. So yeah, I mean, for me, it's understanding like, you know, I have a lot of time in this world, um, inshallah, like to do a lot of things, you know? So yeah, like I would rather work hard now so later I don't have to. You know, I'm 22 now, mm-hmm. in eight years, I wanna retire nice. and just go around <laughs> the world building more schools, like what we're working on in Ghana right now and, you know, building shelters and uh, changing how cities are built from an infrastructural level using and leveraging AI, you know, in agriculture to be able to, you know, let farmers know what seeds or what crops should be in rotation using AI metrics. You know, these are the things that I want to do later in life. So I'm working my butt off now. Oh. Um, so I don't have to like later. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And this is always my last question, but it's going to be hard for you to answer, I think. But what is your favorite thing about what you do? Like, what do you love the most about your career and your job and your... Yeah, the connection to God and the universe to me is really important and really how every single thing that I'm doing in my life is for the next person because I know that's why I'm here. You're doing so much just amazing stuff. You're such an inspiration. I mean, I also here's where I confess that I was petrified to interview him because I know nothing about programming. And in terms of cool factor, he might be the coolest person literally on planet Earth, just objectively, scientifically speaking. He's so smart. He's so accomplished. I don't even know what to ask. So thank you oh, for no, being I, so gracious. Thank you. And, and and thank you. I really appreciate these moments, too, because it, it humanizes technology. So ask smart people just the stupidest questions, because that is the only way we learn. And also, look, they're so kind and so patient. So get more Idris in your life. You can follow him on Instagram at Idris Sandu or Twitter at Idris underscore Sandu. You can check out his TEDx talk and you can gawk over some of his work at spatiallabs.io. 
We are at Ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Allie Ward with one L on both. And there will be links to the sponsors and more on Idris's work up at AllieWard.com slash Ologies slash Architectural Technology. Also linked is AllieWard.com slash Smologies, which has dozens more kid safe and shorter episodes that you can blaze through. And thank you, Mercedes Maitland of Maitland Audio and Jared Sleeper of Mind Jam Media for editing those as well as Zeke Rodriguez Thomas. And since we like to keep things small around here, the rest of the credits are in the show notes. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, I give you a piece of advice for free. And this piece of advice comes courtesy of my husband's mom. And once my husband said when he was a kid that he was sad that none of his friends had reached out to hang out with him. And his mom said, well, have you reached out to them? And he said, well, shoot, that's great advice. So if you're lonely and you haven't heard from a friend, reach out to them. They might be sitting around lonely too, thinking no one's reached out to them. So don't be afraid to make the first move. It might be exactly what someone else needs. Okay, have a good one. Bye-bye. Oh,